0: During World War II, a 26-year-old lieutenant in the United States Navy named uh, John Kennedy was at the helm of a PT-109 boat. It's a patrol boat, and uh, it was about 2.30 in the morning. There was no moon. Stars weren't out. It was very, very dark on the water, and a Japanese destroyer split their boat in half. And... uh, Because of that, the crew was forced to swim three and a half miles to a nearby island to survive. They didn't have supplies, and plus they were terrified because they were so close to the Japanese. A few days later, uh, Kennedy encouraged his crew to swim to another island where they could possibly find more food, uh, water, more cover, and so they did that. Kennedy, of course, was on the swim team in in college, so he was very familiar with water, loved to be in the water, and uh, even though at the risk of shark and uh, the Japanese, he pursued uh, his desire for freedom. And so um, as time went on, Kennedy swam to another island, and it was there that he found uh, a contact that put him in touch with the Allied forces, which ultimately saved him and his crew. So on the morning of August 18, 1943, uh, they safely arrived at the U.S. base at Randova Island. And uh, you can see it on the map. Um, the Randova. <laughs> That's the other map, I think. Anyway, it's out there, as you can see, those series of islands. So, yeah. And uh, later, Kennedy was awarded um, the Navy Marine Corps Medal and a Purple Heart for his bravery and the injuries that he had sustained in the process. When he was asked how he became a hero, because that's how everybody seemed to think of him, he answered, it was involuntary, they sank my boat. That's what happened. Listen, when your boat gets blown out of the water, you have a choice, don't you? You can allow yourself to be captured by the enemy. You can sink or you can swim. And if uh, you refuse to surrender, you can disappear silently under the waves. and Or you can stir up the courage to uh, swim to shore, to become a hero. And through this courage, you can remain faithful in your witness to Jesus Christ. Listen, friends, our culture is closing in all around us. And the weapons that they have, they want to blow you as a follower of Christ out of the water. They want to silence you. They want to intimidate you. And all of us, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have to come to a decision. Are we going to surrender to the enemy? Are we going to sink and just, you know, give up, basically, go into hiding? Or are we going to swim, representing the light of Jesus Christ, and follow him with everything we have? Surrender, sink, or swim. Those are all the options you and I have. Those are choices that we have to pick on how we're going to live our lives. Because we've been talking about the persecuted church, we can take a moment and go to Korea and we can pray for the persecuted church in North Korea. Pastors from, the, from South Korea were asked about the church in the north, across the DMZ. They said they heard very little about the survival of the brothers and sisters there. But they do know that a remnant has survived and despite horrific persecution. What's that look like? Well, families are divided. Believers are scattered. They're hidden underground. According to an annual watch list put out by the Open Doors USA, they said being discovered as a Christian is a death sentence in North Korea. If you aren't killed immediately, you will be taken to a labor camp as a political criminal. These inhumane prisons have horrific conditions. And few believers make it out alive. Everyone in your family will share the same punishment. So there you have it. That's what many followers of Christ are facing around the world today. And so we have to recognize even those in the persecuted church and we in America, we are in the boat together and surrender should never be an option. Surrendering to the enemy, compromising to the enemy. Pastor Gary Hamrick puts it this way, there's three kinds of churches. Think about where your church is today. Some will be complicit, participating in the culture without standing against it. Some will be complacent, disagreeing with the culture but not actively opposing it. Then there are those that will be courageous, saying what needs to be said and doing what needs to be done and accepting the consequences without self-pity. As a follower of Jesus Christ today, there is a call going out that we should be in the world, but not of it. Right? We should be in it, but not of it. We've been talking about holiness actually the last couple weeks and how cool it is to have a relationship where you recognize that God is holy and He wants me, He wants you to be holy as well. That's a lifelong journey and it's exciting to be in that process. We are his representatives, and we need to represent him well. We do. So we're in the boat. There's boats that are being torpedoed around us. Neutrality is impossible. You know, you try to blend in wherever you are without any consequences. Surrender, sink, or swim. That's a decision we have to make. And hopefully by the end of the day today, we'll land together in swimming. It's fun to swim. It's fun to get wet. You bet, man. You bet. Let's go to Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. That's kind of where we've been going every week. And uh, we'll drill down into chapter 3 more in just a few moments. Daniel 3, starting at verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made a golden, gold statue 90 feet tall, nine feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And Lord, we thank you again for your word, how relevant it is for 2023 and beyond. Lord, we thank you for your word that gives us hope, encouragement to press on, to swim, to represent you well. We thank you, Lord, for the courage, the grace that you give us to do that. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, um, number one, God's great kingdom. I think we've hit that. Uh, we've hit that well. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a, had a dream 2,600 years ago. That was a long time, and uh, it really frightened him. He was living in fear because nobody seemed to have an answer what that dream meant. The statue. Uh, it's a beautiful statue. You can see it up on the screen. Um, the gold head working its way down to the to the clay and iron toes. Uh, he, but the statue wasn't doing anything, and so he kind of got bored during that that part of the dream. But at the end of the dream, a rock out of heaven boom, hit the feet of that statue and basically blew it up. It just from the top to the bottom, it collapsed, and all those kingdoms dissipated. So. Daniel represents, talking about God's great kingdom, in verse 47 of chapter 2, truly, Nebuchadnezzar says, your God is the greatest of gods. Now this dude, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in a cultic culture, a demonic culture. They worshiped pagan gods. They did evil things. It was a dark culture. And yet, Nebuchadnezzar is making this statement, truly, your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal the secret. And of course, we know Daniel goes on to say, it wasn't me, man, it was God, that one true God. Number two, Daniel and his band of brothers get promoted. Yeah, they, instead of getting killed, along with the other astrologers and wise men, uh, Uh, they get promoted because God came through. It's cool when God comes through. And they were very grateful for that. Number three, time can change things. And we talked about that in chapter two, verse 47. The king said to Daniel, truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal the secret. So we see there was some movement in Nebuchadnezzar's life towards God God got Nebuchadnezzar's attention. But over time, we see that Nebuchadnezzar's heart became hard again. And he pushed, he drifted from the movement that God was making on his life. And we know personally that time can change things. For some of you, you remember when you were a teenager at camp and you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you felt the hand of God upon you. And over time, because life can be brutal. It's scarred you. It's hardened your heart. And yes, you come to church, but there's not a lot of personal involvement by the Holy Spirit happening in you because you don't want that to happen. You've been hurt. You've been offended. You've experienced pain. And so therefore, it's really God's fault. Time can change things. And I can tell tell you this, thinking about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, did the 16 years hurt them spiritually, or did it help them? Well, seemingly in this chapter three, we see that they have become embedded in the kingdom of God no matter what. That culture where they were living for. 16 years plus had not impacted them. They were in the world, but not of the world. That's a great model for you and me. We can say, man, if those dudes did it, we can do it. We can not only just survive, but we can thrive in this culture, man. And that's the heart that God has. The first song that we were singing this morning. Uh, can we put those lyrics up? Because I forgot them. Uh huh. Yeah. Let's keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Uh huh. Keep going. (laughs) Uh. Mm Ah. Yeah. I am free. I am free. Why do you have to put that up there last, man? I could have saved so much time if that was the first deal. They should have known that. <laughs> I am free, man. When we were singing that, I was thinking that is the heart of God for you and for me as a follower of Christ. That we are free. That there is nothing hanging on to me, man. There's no addiction. There's nothing. There's nothing clawing into me. That's That's restricting my walk with Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not walking in perfection. We're talking about free. We have to still deal with life, don't we? We're not perfect. And we won't be until we get to heaven. But man, when we can walk in freedom and victory in Christ, I tell you, man, there's nothing like it. And you may be here today or watching online and you've you've been addicted to whatever you want to call it. And you think it's hopeless. I will never walk in freedom. I'll be never to be able to sing that song that I am free. That's a lie from the enemy. That is straight from hell itself. Because the heart and will of God for you today is to walk free from sin, shame, whatever you want to call it, man, and experience the great forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ. There is nothing like it. And so when we sing this song, I am free. There is freedom, man, as a follower of Jesus Christ. It keeps you rolling and strong in your faith. So time changes things. How is it looking like in your life? Are you progressing in your walk with Jesus Christ? Are you maturing? Are you becoming more like him or, you know? you go going the other direction. We said this last week, Warren Wiersbe, pastor, Christian author, said the world changes, circumstances change, we change, but God's word never changes. I am so glad for that. Really, I'm so glad for that. I've been going through Jeremiah again, and I tell you, man, it's, Jeremiah was in Jerusalem when Daniel and his buddies were in Babylon. And God was speaking to Jeremiah still, even though his people had been exiled. And it's just, I'm telling you, man, it's, it is so cool to read the Bible and apply it to your life and see current events. It's like nothing new happens. It happened then, it's happening now. Right? So I do appreciate the Bible because it never changes. Number four, looking at the plain of Dura, verse one, Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall, nine feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And the statue, that word statue literally means a statue in human form. So So uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a photograph of himself, and then he had a statue maker uh, build it, section by section. And uh, they had ramps, of course, and worked their way up to the 90-foot deal. Um, Once again, uh, Nebuchadnezzar thinking, hey, this dream that Daniel interpreted said I was just the head that was gold, I'm going to build a statue that's gold from top to bottom. That's how cool I am. See? See? It was a statue of arrogance, you know? It really was. We see that the people that were at the plain of Dura, they were walking around and saying, we've never seen anything like this before. The plain of Dura is six miles outside of the city of Babylon. They were impressed, just like these folks that were there looking at that statue, I believe right here, right now, We're saying the same thing in our culture. We've never seen things like this before, right? I know I have. What's going on in our culture today, it's changing so rapidly. It can almost take your breath away. We have never seen anything like this before. But God is still in control. And God's grace is sufficient as we live for him one day at a time. He'll see us through. So, number five, number five. You have your pins out. The invitation to the dedication. Somebody should write a song about that. The invitation to the dedication. You've had invitations to different events, haven't you? Isn't it cool to get an invitation? You're invited to this event. You can't get in unless you have an invitation. You have to show it at the front door. Some of you have not received the invitation to certain events and you got offended by it. Why wasn't I invited? It's not fair. Don't they know how important I am? (laughs) Come on, man. Come on. You still survived, right? Yeah, it's okay. It's all right. Yeah, so that's life. Life isn't fair. And we move on. Let's take a look at verse 2 and 3. Then he, Nebuchadnezzar, sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came. What if you sent a memo back and said, sorry, I can't make it? What would happen? Yeah, man, they, they would come ring your doorbell and you would disappear into the night like so many communist and socialistic countries are. You will disappear into the night never heard from again. That's what would happen. And it's interesting that it says all Mm -hmm. All these officials, they figured, man, I'm not going to disappoint our great king, Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world. He must have something special because I've got this invitation. And uh, so all these officials came, and they stood before the statue king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Nebuchadnezzar had uh, conquered uh, most of the known world back then. You can take a look at this map. Uh, and and see the empire, the Babylonian empire. Uh, there it is. Yeah, so Babylon, the city right here, and um, uh, yeah, here we go, here we go. Here's Babylon. You see Iran. Wait, oh, there you are ran, so here, here's what's going on in the world right now, right? Yeah. And uh, so you see how close uh, Iraq, Babylon, uh, Syria, Jordan, um, Egypt. That's, that's, that was a big deal back then when Nebuchadnezzar was ruling and reigning. And friends, it's a big deal in our world today. Have you noticed that? That's so why reading your Bible, you're, you're reading current events. And it is so relevant. And so all of these surrounding uh, nations lived in subjection to Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. He was the guy with the iron thumb. Actually, it was gold in the statue. And uh, he had... Decorators come in, you know, the Babylonian international airport was decorated when these people flew in and main street going out to the plain of Dura, highly decorated to impress the people, to impress the world. And so we see Nebuchadnezzar brought all these world leaders to Babylon to show him his beautiful statue and, um, we see in chapter 2 how uh, all of these kingdoms were created by human beings and uh, god's kingdom is the only kingdom that will last forever and so nebuchadnezzar's pushing back with the gold deal you know i heard i heard about this dream you know daniel told me all about it all these kingdoms are going to disappear but i think he lied to me he's saying i'm not going anywhere i'm great i'm wonderful and uh, we look at that statue. Can we have that little statue? Let's have that statue again. That is so cool. Is that cool? You know what? You can go down to Walmart and buy a miniature Nebuchadnezzar statue. You know why you want to do that? Because honestly, we all have a little Nebuchadnezzars in us. The pride that Nebuchadnezzar displayed we not, may not build a 90-foot statue in our backyard that's all gold, but i tell you what, we've got a bunch of little Nebuchadnezzars running out on the inside of us. If we don't get our way, if we get our feelings hurt, our pride is wounded, what will happen? You know? It's the little Nebuchadnezzar rising up inside of us to get my way. I'm king of my life. I can do what I want to do. Right? We humans, man, we are so messed up. We are so messed up. And that's why God invented marriage, by the way. I'm convinced of it. God uses our spouse to expose our selfishness and our pride. You know, really, it's true. God uses our spouses for sandpaper to make us more like Jesus. And the sooner we realize that, the better we'll be. Oh, happy day! Right? Oh, happy day. Yes. Well, God uses circumstances in our lives, too, to shape us. You know, when you don't get that promotion when you think you should have. When that person cut you off on the belt line. You know? That's, that's a great opportunity. He, he's sandpapering us to be more like him. And... We press on. The last time these nations had been together, we have to go back to the Bible to find out when and where that happened. We go to Genesis chapter 11. Let's go there. Starting in verse 1, At one time all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. Where was that plain? It was the plain of Dura. Yeah. The same place that Nebuchadnezzar built his statue was the same place where the Tower of Babel was built. Interesting. They said, come, verse 4, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. You see the pride and arrogance there? You know, we don't need God. We can do, we are so cool. Verse five, but the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower. The people were building. Verse eight, in that way, the Lord gave them all different languages. (laughs) Only God could do that. Babel can't do that. You know, Babel, the language learner thing. What was that? Yes, yes. I hear it advertised on the radio, Babel. You know, for two weeks you can learn a language. Well, God didn't use Babel. He messed with Babel (laughs) by coming in with all these different languages. And so the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. And that is why the city was called Babel. You see the Tower of Babel. You know, they thought they were so cool. And Nebuchadnezzar replaced the Tower of Babel with a statue of himself. That's what pride does. You can imagine the people on the plain of Dura walking around this 90 foot statue. Wondering, okay, what's on the program today? They didn't get a program when they showed their invitation at the front desk. So they were wondering what what's gonna to happen today? They call it Johann's Ark. It's built by Johann Hebers in twenty twelve. The boat's a reproduction of the boat God commanded Noah to build in the book of Genesis. It's 390 feet long, 75 feet high. has numerous animal stalls, food, storage rooms, all kinds of cool stuff. Where is this thing? It's in the Netherlands. What's cool? It's floating. Proving it works, you know. It floats. The boat sits in the harbor of Krimpen in a small Dutch town along the Maas River. So... John Huber's was asked why he built this ark. And he said, I wanted to spread God's word in the Netherlands. I wanted children to come here and feel the texture of the wood, see the nails and see that what was written in the Bible is true. And he concluded with, I believe we're living in the end of times. We're not conscious of it. People never are. So, John is using this ark as a flare to the to the people in the Netherlands to try and get their attention that what's in the Bible is true, that you can trust it. And the way we're living in our world today, we know time is short. And it's imperative that we live all in for Jesus Christ. That's really what he's saying here. He's trying to get the attention. So pretty cool. How God is using people all around the world to build His kingdom. Number six, surprise! Here's the real reason you're here. It's kind of like one of those uh "uh-oh" moments, right? Have you ever had one of those? I didn't know I was here for that. You know, you're in, you're, you're somewhere. You've been invited. And it's like all hell breaks loose. Have you ever been there? Surprise. Let's read it, First 4. Then the heralds shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship, King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Now now they're finding out why they're there. It's not just to have some donuts and coffee and take selfies of each other. That's not why they're there. They're there to bow to the ground to worship the golden statue. It's kind of like one of those uh uh-oh moments. Oof. Anyone who refuses, here it is. Oh, by the way, if you refuse to obey, you will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Surrender, sink, or swim. It's one of those moments for these three dudes. You surrender to the culture. You give up. Or you swim those are our decisions everything was organized the orchestra had been practicing check this out there they are they've been warming up for this great day man for the dedication and the musicians you you just saw all all the kinds of musicians that are there they've been practicing a while and this announcement that was given really took the breath away i think of these folks that had showed up. I thought we were going to a dedication. This is turning into more of a worship service for Nebuchadnezzar. Hmm. Verse 6, anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. How do you like that for an option? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, man, if I could dig a hole in the ground and disappear, that's where I'd go. But you can't. The MC didn't ask for a vote. Hey, how many of you like to bow down? How many of you don't want to bow down? Well, if you don't want to bow down, you can go home. No, that's not an option. It's pretty intimidating. They would bow down or die. Surrender, sink, or swim. 2 Timothy 3 1 kind of. Shoots a flare in the air, I think, for all of us. In the last days, there will be very difficult times. That was a difficult time for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, too. Questioning their loyalty. Where would their loyalty land? Let's take a look at the furnace. The furnace that was there just happened to be there. <laughs> Do you think it just happened to be there? No, it was there on purpose the same furnace that was used to build this statue to heat up the gold so they could form it into the image of Nebuchadnezzar. They left it there on purpose because Nebuchadnezzar had a plan. Not only am I going to build this cool statue of myself, I'm going to invite all the leaders of the world to come, and they're going to be forced, coerced, to bow down to worship me. And that furnace right there, hoo, 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 baby, that's a good word picture right there. You don't bow down. That's where you're going. That's where your home's going to be. You're going to be uh, turned into a cremation, dude. Not creation, cremation. Right? Yeah. You're going away. We see there, there was a large opening at the top, and through it they would put the material. There was a door at the bottom. They could take the metal out when they finished. There were Doors, windows on the side, so they had bellows that they could, whoosh, whoosh, the fire's going out. Whoosh, whoosh, the bellows would kick in and that fire would ignite again and become very, very hot. So, was the fire burning in the furnace? Yes or no? It was. And it was burning hot. <laughs> the flames were jumping out just so these people would be, yeah, I think we'll bow down. Well, everybody else is bowing. We'll bow down. We're good with that. And um, that's where we're at. Yes, not only was it heated up, but friends, the world is heating up right now. The world is heating up right now. The tension is rising. And you will be asked, where does your loyalty lie? Just like did for these three. let us Let's tie this in with future events because this models it well not only 2600 years ago when Nebuchadnezzar built this statue but we can go into the furnace when we go to Revelation 13 we're going to be talking about the mark of the beast and sometimes I think it's good to to go there as a reminder of the options that you have when your loyalty is going to be questioned where are you going to land at the end of the day Are you going to surrender, are you going to sink, or are you going to swim? Chapter 13, verse 16, he, the Antichrist, required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. Many believe that's going to be a chip, a little computer chip. They could slip under the top layer of your skin. No one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Verse 18, wisdom is needed here. In other words, hey, 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 don't just read this without thinking about it. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. six. Second Thessalonians 2.4, Paul echoes this. He, the Antichrist, will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. The Antichrist will try and displace God from this world. Nebuchadnezzar was modeling the same attitude that the Antichrist is going to be modeling in the future. You don't take the mark? You don't bow down to me, dude? No, you can't buy food. You can't. You can't buy anything. You're toast. The Bible links the universal mark of the beast with the emergence of a cashless society. Have you heard anything about a cashless society lately? Yeah, that's they're prepping for that. Why, why worry about your cash being stolen, your identity being stolen, if you put the chip in your hand or forehead? That's. Your identity will never be stolen again. That's how they will present it. During the coming tribulation, the mark of the beast will serve two primary functions. One, it will serve as a visible sign of your loyalty and devotion to the Antichrist. Like these folks on the plain of Dura bowing down, what are they saying? We're bowing down our allegiances to you, O king. We give you our loyalty. The mark will involve a conscious decision. You will make that choice to accept the Antichrist as God. Second, the mark will be a global passport to participate in the economy. You don't have the mark? Too bad. No buying, no selling, no food, no housing. You're on your own. The Antichrist basically saying, You worship me or you starve. That's the way it's going to go. By taking the mark of the beast, by the way, and swearing allegiance to the Antichrist, which is representing Satan himself, you're eliminating any opportunity to get to heaven. It's over, it's done you've signed your eternal death sentence right there. Bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar on the plain of Dura, taking the mark of the beast. Everybody's doing it. We'll do it. Ah. So the prophecies in Revelation 13, friend, really, I'm telling you, uh, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, this would have been laughed at. But the technology, artificial intelligence, facial recognition, all being used today. We're moving down that road for a one world government and um, we need to be alert and to swear our allegiance to almighty God. So will we remain faithful to God or will we find excuses to follow the crowd? We see these Jews, these three Jews, would face one of their life's greatest tests. Could they go along with the crowd just this once? You know, would it hurt anybody if they just bowed down like everybody else? Just this once? They just blend in with the rest of the crowd. I mean, some theologians believe there were up to a million people on the plain of Dura. That's a big crowd. Or, as they talked amongst themselves, would we remain true to our core, our convictions, would we be willing to stand alone for God in his kingdom? We're not going to bow to any image. No, we're not going to do that. So they were ready. See, they, when you're in the middle of a temptation, that's not, to dis, that's not the time to try and decide where your core values are. You need to establish your core values ahead of time so when the test comes and temptation comes, it's automatic. My allegiance is to God. I don't have to think about it. If I die, I die. So be it. That's where these three dudes landed. They had their core values planned out ahead of time. It was part of them, embedded in them. And nobody could talk them out of it. Even through a burning furnace nearby. Middle of the 18th century, the audience have stood for the Hallelujah chorus in Handel's Messiah. Um, my mother made me go to that when I was a kid. And that wasn't my style. But she didn't ask me. We're going. You know, that was kind of automatic. Every Christmas we go to Handel's Messiah. Poof. And I always thought it was so boring, you know. So we went, and every time, you know, the Hallelujah Chorus tradition says that it was presented in, the London, in London for the premiere back in 1743. King George II was there, and when the Hallelujah Chorus came, King George stood to his feet. And guess what? When King George stood to his feet, so did everybody else in the auditorium, because when the king stands, so does everybody else. I stood as a boy because everybody else stood. But just the opposite was happening on the plain of Dura. King Nebuchadnezzar, they stood when they came, but he says, no, no, I want more than that. I'm demanding your allegiance. And so you bow down to me and you worship me. That was his plan. Instead of people standing in honor of his image, Nebuchadnezzar wanted everybody to bow down and worship, to follow the crowd. And this morning, friends, faith in Jesus Christ is under attack. Just like Kennedy's PT-109, man, it sank by the Solomon Islands. Followers of Jesus Christ have a target on their back. And I'm telling you, this is not a time to become paranoid, you know. (laughs) It's not a time to say, we need to hunker down. No, no, this is a time to let our faith shine bright. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not intimidated. They They didn't go undercover, you know, just for a day. That's all we need to do, go undercover for a day. You know, our conviction or compromise, where are we going to land? No, we're going to land on conviction. Our conviction is God is the one true God. Nebuchadnezzar will come and go. The statue will not last forever, but God's kingdom will. So I will stand for him. Everybody else is bowing down to the culture around us. That's the easy way. But to be able to stand for the cause of Jesus Christ, that takes courage it's like John Kennedy kept swimming from island to island friend we keep swimming until Jesus comes because he's coming father we thank you this morning for again reminding us that you are the god who is in control that as an individual you take delight in every Detail of our life. And sometimes it's easy to get lost in this world that seems to be so violently changing before our eyes. We feel like we're getting lost in the shuffle, but God, we need to remember your promise. You delight in every detail of our lives, you delight. And because you delight in that, Lord, we delight in you. We've experienced your presence. We have experienced your grace that we can live with confidence, not in ourselves, but because you're living through us. You're the one, Lord, that's giving us the power and a desire to become more like you and to find out what pleases you. How cool is that? And so today we have a choice to make. Do we surrender to the culture? Do we sink? We just give up, call it quits? My life really doesn't matter? Or do we swim, representing Jesus Christ, wherever we go? Lord, will you help us to realize the great love that you have for us because because of that simple thing we don't want to do anything that would hurt you or your kingdom we want your kingdom to flourish even in North Korea Lord Christians are flourishing under heavy persecution I have decided to follow Jesus Jesus No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. We thank you, Lord, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, for their example for us in 2023. Pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ and His kingdom. And you may be here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You can do it right here, right now. Jesus, I believe you went to the cross to pay for my sin. You paid it all, not partial. I don't have to work harder, I don't have to try harder. You paid it in full. And because of that free gift of salvation, I'm putting my trust in you today. So thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for becoming an integral part of my life, living in and through me for your honor and glory. I thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.